Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, a.m. 1340. Radio advertising is good. Why should you advertise on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. While we are even home to Imus in the Morning, we also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities and a variety of music. Talk Radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hey, listeners, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host, Robert, and we got a great show for you tonight. Matter of fact, we are going to do a post-Superboat edition. So uh, sit tight, and uh, let's get to some music, and then we're going to get right with the show.
Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about Naughty Nancy. No, this isn't a story about a bad girl. This is a truth about a great place to eat and hang out. Naughty Nancy's Food Shack, located at 700 Eldridge Street in the downtown Clearwater area, is a quaint little place nestled under some huge oak trees serving great food and drink and a wonderful, friendly atmosphere. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. They have 10 daily specials as well as many different styles of cooking from Cajun, New England, country, gourmet, and even short order, prepared just the way you want it. So check out this groovy little dew drop in right on the trail. So jog up to our front door, ride up on your bicycle, drive up in your car, or pull up on your motorcycle, and visit my friend Nancy and place your order. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a free drink. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater, Bro's Pizzeria, voted number one in the city of Clearwater. They're located at 547 South Fort Harrison Avenue. They have great New York-style pizza, as well as delicious lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs, manicotti, linguine. And if you're in the neighborhood for lunch, they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers. So call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries, or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino. That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olti create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes. What would you like on your pizza? Call Bro's Pizzeria, 727-441-6025. That's 727-441-6025. And tell them Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Okay, guys, we're back. Uh, a couple of announcements. By the way, uh, speaking of Naughty Nancy's, it's open mic night tonight. That's from 7 to 11 at Naughty Nancy's. She's at 700 Eldridge. That is uh, a quarter of a mile north of Drew Street, off Myrtle, right on the trail. Okay? And if you guys want to send us an email, golfstreamradio at gmail.com, golfstreamradio at gmail.com. And you can see us live on the Internet at Tantalk Radio, or excuse me, Tantalk1340.com, Tantalk1340.com. Okay, quickly, a couple of, because uh, we got some great guests tonight. i got a couple of the guys from the uh, Superboat Races. I've got Bob Teague coming on the air, and I have Martin Sanborn. Okay, so this should be really, really good, because these guys were in competing classes. But real quickly to events, upcoming events. 
Saturday, October 23rd, the British Car Show in downtown Safety Harbor. Okay. I want to say a special thanks to the Austin Healy Club. They're the big sponsors of this thing. And Ron Swagger, who is the uh, president of the uh, local Austin Healy Club. And, of course, there's a couple other guys, the British car enthusiasts. They'll be there. And the featured mark this year is a sunbeam. So there'll be some cool sunbeams and especially some tigers for all you uh, Shelby and V8 guys. Also, I want to say a couple uh, special thanks to uh, Kotakis Towing for helping me get my TR6 ready for the show. Hopefully it'll be ready in time. And uh, thanks to Alan for helping me on some of the mechanicals. And you guys probably know Alan because he hangs out here every once in a while. He's a super mechanic, great friend as well. And uh, Mike and Scott for helping me with some parts. And Doug from the sign shop on Madeira Beach uh, for getting me the uh, numbers for my meatballs. So uh, if you need a sign done, give uh, Doug a call at 278-9659. That's 278-9659. That's a sign shop on Madeira Beach. He'll do custom stuff because he's a car guy. Give him all the support you can. Give him a call. Okay, also October 23rd, uh, the Mustangs at Mosey, Mustang Roundup. That's a Mosey in Tampa, okay? We got October 23rd. We also have the Buick Pontiac Old Show at Silver Springs. We've got Rats and Rods with Big Daddy. We've got the HSR race going on right now as we speak in Sebring. Uh, Billetproof is on October 24th. That's Sunday, okay? That's at USA International Raceway. Uh, that's more hot rod stuff. And, of course, uh, Mike Flynn from Hollywood Wheels and Hollywood Auctions has got his November to Remember auction. That's in Palm Beach at the Palm Beach Convention Center. That's November 4th. Uh, we got Bug Jam. That's November 14th in Dade City. November 16th. If you guys ever wanted to have an opportunity to meet Brian Johnson, lead singer for ACDC, he's doing a benefit, uh, uh, I guess you call it like a little benefit concert for his friend at the Irish Rover Pub in Sarasota. The Irish Rover Pub in Sarasota. Brian Johnson is going to be there with uh, his uh, support band. And uh, so if you... Uh, Want to get an opportunity to see Brian Johnson. And you know what? He does sign autographs, so he's a really cool guy. So uh, go down there and listen to him. Also, I want everybody to be familiar with the uh, charity that I support here. It's Closed to Kids. Their number is 327-7100 in St. Pete and 441-5050. That's 441-5050 here in Clearwater. If you've got any children's clothes, please donate them. That is a nonprofit organization. It's a great uh, organization. They donate kids uh, clothes to kids twice a year. They give them a full week of kids' clo- of clothes for them to go to school with, uh, to play with, whatever. And uh, it's a great opportunity for you to donate to a local charity. Okay, uh, let's see. What do we got next? Okay, before we get to our guys, let's uh, take another song break real quick. And then, Lee, get my uh, special guest on the phone here pretty soon. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> His mic wasn't on. Hey, no, I don't li- have him on yet. I- I'll call him during the Okay, song. this live radio, Hopefully so anything there. can happen. Especially on this show. Especially on this show. Yeah, I got through that pretty quick this time, didn't I? Yeah, too quick. I, I, I cannot find that Country Joe song, but we'll... It's on uh, Groove Shark. Oh, it is? Yeah, oh, Groove Shark. Okay. Um, hey, this, this is, is a cool old song. Driver's Seat. Seat. Yeah, well, this is cool because they got... Well, both both these guys coming up on the radio here shortly are drivers. One's a driver for his race boat. The other one's a throttle man for the race boat. So it's a very appropriate song. Good thinking, Lee.
Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, you guys, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Car. We are live. If you want to send us an email, golfstreamradio at gmail.com, or if you want to see us live on the Internet, if that's easier for you, tantalk1340.com, tantalk1340.com. Okay, we've got our guests. We have our first guest, Bob Teague. Are you there with Bob, with uh, Teague Marine? Yes, I am. Teague oh. Custom Marine, Valencia, California. Welcome to the show, Bob. And uh, Martin, are you there? Martin Sanborn with... Uh, I am... I am here. Thanks, Robert. Global warming uh, superboat, superboat V Unlimited, right? I guess, and also you're the director for the North American operations for Powerboat International, correct? Yeah, for Powerboat P1, and it's for the global warmer, but we want to be quasi political, correct? Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. Can you guys both hear each other? Okay. Yeah, I can hear. I can hear you a lot better than Martin. Martin, I can barely hear you, but uh, but. Uh, yeah, we're out here in California. Maybe maybe the wires aren't quite long enough in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes we have a problem with that. Those two cans and the string in between them, you know, they get tangled right. every once in a while. That's fine. So anyway, yeah, I want to uh, thank you guys for uh, coming on the radio show, and I really enjoyed uh, meeting you guys here at the Superboat races a couple of weeks ago here in Clearwater. And uh, it was really interesting to actually hear a professional group of guys do a play-by-play on the uh, first uh, first Superboat race that was uh, that took place down there in Clearwater Beach. 
So, uh, yeah, Martin and I have been doing this uh, for you know quite a while, and um, we've also worked quite a few radio and TV shows together too. Just as just as it happens, uh, we have the gift of gab as well. But we, you know, I think it's most important that uh, that the people get educated about the sport, and that we have the knowledge of the sport, so we can keep uh, things rolling and uh, and uh, talk about the action in between the action and uh, some of the things that go on in the boats. And uh, you know, it's a quite complex sport, uh, offshore racing, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty much a catamaran racer now, and Martin's uh, pretty much a V-bottom racer, so we give we can give two uh, different perspectives of the uh, sport. Okay. Sure. Um, what what uh, you know, for, for some of the listeners and probably some of the spectators who are out there at the race, um, uh, explain to, uh, to some of the listeners here what exactly transpired during the races, because a couple of guys came in, because this was a national championship race, correct? And there was a lot of guys that had substantial amount of points that uh, participated, but some of them only basically had to start, cross the line, cross the finish line, and then there was a couple of the other guys that had to actually race to get additional points so they could continue on for the uh, finals in uh, Key West next month, correct? Well, the, the, well, the Key West race is actually a world championship. It's a standalone event. Right. It like um, it's a three-race uh, three race event. There's a race on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, and the combination of the three events uh, are totaled for the final score for the week. Um, the um, the uh, national championship race that occurred in um, in uh, Clearwater a couple of weeks ago um, is is uh, two things. It's the final national series race of the year, and it's also the national championship race for what they call the nationals. Um, generally speaking, you can't just go to a nationals without having to attend other races. And in the Superboater National, you have to have competed in national events to be able to go to the world championship. So they're kind of all tied together. Uh, but it comes down to this. At the last race of the year, uh, it's the end of the points chase, and the national championships is really a double points race. And so and so, uh, it does put people in a little tighter battle at the end, but uh, some people had it fairly well sewn up, so they basically had to start the race depending on how many people were in their class or whatever. And some people had to battle it out to the end. So um, there was a little bit of everything. It's not just about first place either. It's about second, third, fourth, and so on. So people are establishing their pecking order. Uh, Martin, um, where did you stand in the point standing there? Uh, we actually came in there in a tie in uh, the Super V Unlimited category in uh, on the OSS. There were actually, it was actually a joint race. So we we ultimately were one of those teams that was in a position that actually had to go out and we had to win. Um, on the on the SBI side, it was already wrapped up by um, uh, the instigator team that has done a great job all year long. So you know, we need, certainly wanted to put on a good show with them uh, from the SBI side, but we knew uh, since it was a joint race that we had to win on the uh, OSS side, we had to beat Instigator, and ultimately we were fortunately able to do that. Okay, and your boat is a forty-foot fountain, correct? Correct. correct. Okay, and you're run- and you're running twin-engine staggered five twenty-fives in there, correct? No, we're running twin staggered seven hundreds. Oh, seven hundreds. Mercury seven hundreds, right? Okay, and then Bob, you're running. Uh, you're in a skater. Your boat is basically thirty-six feet, correct? Yeah, it's a 36-foot skater, also known as a 368, which means it's 36 feet long and 8 inches wider than the normal 36. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it runs uh, stock uh, mercury-sealed 525 EFIs uh, with a number 6 drive package, which is uh, in the um, Superboat National known as a Supercat. Okay, and how about how fast does your boat go? Let's say, like, during like, you know, peak speeds on a, on a straightaway coming out of a turn and you're halfway, midway down, how fast would your boat 
uh, attain? I mean, how fast would it? Yeah, basically, what speed would you reach? Yeah, the Supercats are capable of 130 miles an hour in stock trim. Uh, you know, at at the um, at the required weight. You know, we have to weigh 8,350 pounds uh, at the end of a of a race. So, um, you know, 130 mile an hour Supercat, or in other organizations, a Supercat light. Uh, we'll get the job done um, in reasonable water conditions. And then, so when they say in your class, because you're Supercat, now all the boats that compete in your class, basically, like you mentioned, have sealed stock 525 cubic inch engines, correct? That's right. Well, it's a 525 horsepower. Oh, horsepower, I'm sorry. 502 cubic inch uh, uh, Mercury racing motor that's based off a of Generation 6 big block Chevrolet. Okay, so that way everybody has to pretty much, it's kind of like an even playing field. So the comp, the competitive edge is basically the drivers and maybe little trick things that you do in terms of uh, gearing and a few things like that. Would that be fair to say? Well, it, it basically you have to weigh the same amount at the end of the race. So, so um, most of the boats are um, a little underweight when they're built, so it gives you the ability to move ballast weight around in the boat. You know, we can't move ballast while we're running. Uh, but we can put weight bags, you know, to try to second-guess what the conditions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're allowed to run, um, in most organizations, two different gear ratios in our class. Um, and then and then we can run um, uh, propellers, you know, anywhere from uh, pretty much 34 pitch up to 40 pitch is, is pretty much the norm. And so you have to... You have to figure out, uh, based off the conditions, the course length, the water conditions, and everything else, um, you know, what the boat needs to weigh at the end of the race uh, based off the distance you're going because you use fuel and that takes weight. Um, and then, and then um, you put the ballast in the boat, select the right gears and the props, and, and uh, flip a coin and, and hope that you're a lucky day and, and, uh, and do the best you can do because you don't always nail it, but it's a big difference when you get it right. Martin, on your boat now, what were your engines stock? Are you in the same situation where uh, Bob is, where you have to um, keep your engines pretty much all in the same configuration, or are you a little bit more? Because uh, um, you're Superboat V Unlimited. So, what exactly does the Unlimited mean? Well, about the only limitation we have on the Unlimited side is that we're limited in cubic inches. We we can't be over five hundred and I want to say five hundred and ten cubic inches total is what we're allowed. However, you know, we are one of the teams that's running the stock Mercury 700 um, SCI package, which is probably one of the more popular Mercury high-performance packages today. It comes with a you know, warranty out of the factory, and you, you couple it with a number six drive. It's a, it's a bulletproof package. You know, rather than using a, a full dedicated hybrid-type engine where you've got to use racing fuel and a lot more tinkering, these ones, you know, the nice thing about that Mercury engine is you turn the key every time and it starts. And, you know, Bob will certainly test that as, as a Mercury-certified guy and dealing with the, the Mercury 525, the same kind of package. So we, that was the, the direction we elected to go. And uh, it, it has proved to be very reliable all year long. We've had very few mechanical problems. And when we did have a mechanical problem, it didn't have anything to do with the engine, you know, water, water lines blowing up or something like that that's, that's not related to the motor, which is – it's certainly less expensive to fix, maybe not less frustrating, but certainly less expensive to fix, and it's, it's a very economical package, comparatively speaking, to run. So basically what it does is, it, again, it kind of levels the playing, food, playing field, and then it brings more uh, competitors in that particular class. Would that be fair to say? Well, I, I think certainly the intention, when you, when you can take some of the cost out of racing where you don't have to have the you know, a, a super expensive engine that, that turns at an ultra-high RPM that really has to be rebuilt every first, second, or so race, you, you open it up to a number, a greater number of competitors. When you get to the unlimited categories, you by nature get to a certain point where it's, it's cost-prohibitive 
for everybody to get into it. But I think there's there's some things on the horizon. Those are the kind of things I'm working with with P1 to really level that playing field even more by leveling it on a horsepower-to-weight ratio type of a format. It'll, it'll bring it in, into a little bit more even. But, you know, ultimately the idea of an unlimited is that it, it's far more, you know, open. It's It's kind of back to the old days where it's, you know, do what you want to do and run as fast as you can possibly run. And, you know, ideally then the, the skill of the drivers and the water conditions become more of the limiting factor. Okay, now, which is interesting, because you're a throttle man, and Bob, you're a driver, correct? No, I'm a throttle man also. Oh, you're a throttle man also, okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know what that round thing does over there. <laughs> well, explain <laughs> to me and, and our listeners exactly the... Uh, you know, the differences. In other words, I mean, they're both equally as important, obviously, because when somebody's throttling down, somebody's got to steer it pretty much. And uh, so do you both kind of have to read the water? And and when as you as a throttle man, and, and uh, Martin, you're a throttle man also, correct? So correct. you guys have to worry about trim and and, uh, and, and and bouncing off the water and pulling back on the throttles. And then this, the driver... I mean, how, kind of give us like a little uh, uh, scenario. What would ha- take place in the capsule there, or in the in the cockpit area? Like uh, as you're, you know, from let's say one 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 round around the track or the course. Well, well, years ago, you know, we didn't run in circles. First of all, okay, um, and and so in those days, uh, the throttleman was probably way more important uh, of a position in the boat than a than a driver, uh, because the driver basically kept the boat going straight. The navigator told him where to do where to go, and the and the throttleman had to read the waves and and run the boat across, you know, at the proper speed, attitude, trim, and whatever. Um, but has as this sport has progressed into more of a stadium type uh, uh, sport where we're running on four, five, and six mile courses uh, in front of beaches like we did in Clearwater, uh, this is a true teamwork uh, effort. And uh, while the conditions are rough enough for the throttleman to have to read the water, uh, keep from over revving the engines, uh, keep the boat in the right attitude, uh, you know, you also have trim with your drives, trim with your tabs, and everything else. Um, and most throttlemen have the throttles in their right hand uh, and all the trim controls in their left hand, and so everything's taken up. Um, you know, we don't use foot throttles or anything because it's almost impossible to keep yourself in this constant position in the boat. And then, and then it's a coordination between the throttleman and the driver, whether or not it's a V-bottom or cat. There's a certain attitude that you have to set the boat up at to get into a turn, and uh, it's the throttleman's job to give uh, the driver a good boat to turn, and the, the driver's uh, job to let give the throttleman feedback on, on on what the boat feels like, and then after that, when you get going down the straightaway, really it's the throttleman's job to get the boat down the straightaway as fast as you possibly can, and and the, le- the less the driver actually turns the boat, the better off you are. <laughs> so it's, it's like two guys with the same brain, one person with four hands, however you want to think about it, operating that boat. And it, and it takes a lot of practice together. And, uh, and I'm fortunate to have uh, Paul Whittier uh, and or Mike DeFries in the boat with me. Um, and we've developed a pretty good teamwork. And, and um, um, that kind of experience working out together, you know, makes you better. It's just like practicing as a football team. Um, Martin, on, on your boat, how fast is your boat going straight away? You know, in the, with the with the Mercury 700, the boat's capable of speeds in, in perfect conditions just at 130 miles an hour, so about the same speed as Bob. But the difference is it takes far more horsepower to make the, cat, or the V-bottom run 
compared to the catamaran because, you know, everything in motorsports is horsepower to weight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our, even though our boats go into the water about the same weight, when his boat's running as a catamaran, it traps air. It, it is very um, aerodynamic influence. So ultimately the boat weighs less when it's running because of the, the trick of air compression. You know, the V-bottom, it takes brute horsepower to make the boat go. And like Bob said, it's, it's, I think one of the best ways that I describe what it's like, the throttleman-driver relationship, first, you know, as Bob said, it, it takes an amount of teamwork that's unbelievable, and that translates to an incredible amount of trust. I mean, if you want to imagine, Robert, that we'll go out and we're going to drive your car, and we're going to drive it at 100 miles an hour in traffic, but I'm going to be running the gas pedal, and you're going to be driving it. Oh, and we're going to be doing it on a surface that moves. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's, there's a level of trust that goes into understanding you know, when we go into a turn, I know that Bob knows what Mike and um, – Mike and Paul are going to do before they even get there, and they both know what Bob's going to do. And it's the same thing with Dan and Arbo. He knows what I'm going to do. I know what he's going to do. As Bob said, it's my job and his job to set up the boat so that the driver can do what he knows he needs to do to turn the boat. And once we get going down a straightaway, um, our jobs get a little bit different because in the catamaran, you know, like Bob said, the less he turns the wheel, the better. And they've got to come out of the turn and really point it, and the wind can blow the boat a little bit, and the driver you know, doesn't really do much to correct it. It's up to the throttleman in a catamaran even more than anything else to fly the boat. In the V-bottom, I just get it set up, and I've got to get the boat loose quickly, get it up on top of the water, and just let it, let it skip over the tops, and then you know, we both share the same job of not letting the motors over-rev when the boat comes out of the water. You know, that's interesting, too, because you're partial to deep Vs, and Bob's partial to a skater, correct? So, well, you know, well, I don't know if it's partial. I've actually probably driven everything that's on the planet. In fact, uh, um, I raced the uh, first fountain race boat, true race boat that was ever built uh, with Bob Nordskog. And, uh, you know, um, I've been racing so dang long, there wasn't even such thing as catamarans when I started racing. And so so it was always V-bottoms, and I, I've raced a number of V-bottom classes. In fact, I think every V-bottom class that ever existed uh, up through the Super Vs when we had supercharged blower motors, and, and, and Martin raced that class as well. So, you know, we've all kind of grown up with the V-bottoms, and, uh, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago I started moving over to catamarans and did race a couple V-bottoms in between. You know, I raced a year for Donzi and, and a couple other things, uh, but... You know, I kind of keep on going back to the cats, and now I've had, uh, you know, two really successful um, uh, super cats or cat lights. Uh, one was called Liquid Metal, and, and then uh, now this one, uh, the, the uh, Team Amsoil boat that uh, uh, has been uh, probably one of the most successful race boats I've ever had, um, consistently anyway. Because, and the other thing is, we can run it 14, 15 races a year. So, um, in the olden days, when we we're running, uh, you know. Um, 1,200 horsepower blower motors. It was rebuilding the motors after every race, especially when the races were 200 miles. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, this is a great. This is a this is a great format right now, and it and it provides for close racing and good entertainment. Uh, Martin, would you say it's fair, or it's fair to say that the, uh, Fountain is probably the only deep V that's really our manufacturer that's behind deep uh, racing in terms of deep Vs. Where in the old days it was cigarette, it was uh, Apache, it was uh, maybe Velocity, and maybe uh, some other names that I can't recall right now. Whereas the same thing with Skater is like the predominant name in in, in cat racing. Is is that a fair statement? I don't. I wouldn't say that that they're the only ones that are in it. I would say that it's fair to say that they've fairly they've been done. You know. You know, it's about how fast the boat goes, and it's win-win-win. And he does take that and translate it over to 
the consumer side, but you know, there are still manufacturers out there that make incredibly competitive V-bonds. And, you know, the gap between what they were 10 years ago, 12 years ago, to what those manufacturers put out today has really narrowed. There, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure Reggie wouldn't want to hear me say that, but, you know, the fact of the matter is cigarette builds a very fast step-bottom boat that's very effective now. Outer Limits builds a very fast step-bottom boat that's very efficient and very effective. Donzi builds a great V-bottom step-bottom boat as Bob's driven that boat as well. I think the technology has has brought everybody closer together, but I, I think that there are, there are so many founds and they've been so dominant for so long that they have a they have an image certainly of being a boat that's capable of going out and winning a race on any given day. But certainly, if somebody goes out and builds one of those other boats and goes out and competes, they got a shot. Bob, uh, quick question. Now you've raced on. You're from California, so if you raced on the Pacific, and I think I asked you this when uh, when we were talking a little bit at the races. Um, Pacific racing, Pacific water racing versus Atlantic water racing. What's your uh, perspective on that? Well, to be fair, uh, Martin's also from the left coast here, um, and, and somehow he, uh, you know, I think he's hiding from the government or something, and he ended up in North Carolina where they don't have phones or something. Um, but, Actually, but, three of us, because I'm from California originally too. So um. that's right. We we, we uh, um, obviously grew up racing um, pretty much on the west coast uh, in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, we had, uh, you know, several, you know, we had a few races like at Lake Mead and stuff like that. And uh, during the, uh, uh, between 1992 and 1998, I was the president of the Pacific Offshore Racing Association. And we also had uh, quite a few races like in uh, Pittsburgh, California, which is on the California Delta, Benicia, California, Vallejo. And, of course, in San Francisco Bay and out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. But uh, we raced at uh, just about uh, any major place that you can think of. Uh, from San Diego to Seattle uh, on the West Coast. And certainly the conditions um, are different in different parts of the West Coast, but, but generally speaking, when you're racing in the Pacific Ocean, um, you're racing in the ocean. And, and uh, the wave shape or the, you know, the type of water conditions you can expect out here would include swells. Um, and sometimes those swells are as big as houses. And 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 uh, if you ever you know think about guys that surf and stuff, they talk about waves coming in in sets, and uh, you know and sometimes they wait for the third wave because it's the big one, whatever. Um, and uh, you learn to read the sets of waves, whether they're running twos and threes, you know, like a set of two and then a three, mm-hmm. or a set of threes and fours or whatever. You learn to read the water like that, and then on top of that, you get a wind wave, and the wind waves may not necessarily be going, and probably usually aren't going the same way as the swell. So that creates some real confused seas, but you know we race in conditions out here, and certainly in you know in past years we raced in conditions when we didn't have all the helicopter requirements and 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 uh, you know coverage like we have now for safety. You know we'd be 50 miles out there by ourselves and uh, racing in 20 foot seas and thought nothing of it, and that's just the way it was in those days. But you know we also carried life rafts and sea sea rations and shark repellent and everything else. Oh jeez. So. So nowadays, you know, we're in this, you know, shorter, choppy water, although I was up in Atlantic City here just a few weeks ago, and the, and, and uh, Paul and I were out there testing on Saturday in Amsoil Skater, and uh, we, we we were kind of giggling. So this reminds us of Ventura because they had these big swells coming in from this hurricane that was out in the Atlantic. But uh, generally speaking, you get a shorter, sharp, sharper wave on the Atlantic side, um, you know, that's more, you know, maybe more abrupt and closer together. This is very general, you know, and, and, and that, that would also include Lake Michigan and, and places like that. Um, 
And uh, in the Pacific Ocean, you could get a number of things. I mean, occasionally you can get that, but beans that the water's deeper, um, generally speaking, you get bigger swells, um, and uh, then you get the wind waves working across it. So it's uh, it's a whole different kind of challenge. I, I wouldn't say one's harder than the other, um, but uh, but I think that guys that uh, really can run in the Pacific Ocean can probably run anywhere. Um, there's a, I was reading on your website, um, Teague Marine there, Teague Custom Marine, and uh, a reference, obviously, Bob Norskog and his fleet of marathon offshore boats. So would I be correct in assuming that that's referencing the marathon races from, like, Marathon Keys uh, down to the Bahamas and back? Is that what that is that why they refer to it as a marathon boat? No, or? no, a marathon, um, in, in, those, in that context, we used to race, uh, and we still do, as a matter of fact, uh, inboard endurance boats or inboard marathon boats, as they're originally called. Oh, okay. And um, you know, originally they were you know pretty much V drive boats, like flat bottoms and stuff like that, that were designed to go 500 miles um, in in the you know circle class. Um, this is where the race, the Parker Nine Hour uh, Enduro, came from, that was run on the Colorado River, uh, which eventually became a seven hour enduro. And uh, and uh, we would build uh, inboard. Um, boats were primarily inboard, but it was also outboard competition and tunnel boats and whatever. And we actually, uh, Bob Norskog started a class called uh, KT, which really stands for in, uh, Unlimited Tunnel, uh, which in, ended up being ET, which was Endurance Tunnel. And um, these were like 24 uh, foot uh, wooden Molinaries and stuff like that, uh, that that raced with small block Chevrolets and stern drives were pretty popular uh, in the Parker Enduro. Uh, myself, I also have a Grand National boat, which, you know, I stopped racing in 1992, and just recently, last year, my son and I got the thing back out, put it back together after it had been sitting for 16 years, and went out and ran the Parker Enduro in it last year, 300-mile race now. So Grand National is like... weekend, we're going to go do it again. So we're really uh, gluttons for punishment. It's <laughs> the first time out, and, and, and the first time that uh, he ever drove the boat, co-drove the boat, uh, we finished second overall out of 50 boats in the race, in a 300-mile race, so... Um, not too bad for you know getting back on the horse and and uh, him as a new driver to boat. So he's kind of put this whole thing together and and uh, against my wife's wishes, of course. <laughs> now, and, um, but we're having fun doing it. Good. And a Grand National is basically like an SK boat, correct? Like it's a twenty foot. A boat Grand National, fl- exactly. It's it's a it's a twenty and a half foot um, um, semi V V drive marathon boat that that uh, carries one hundred and ten gallons of fuel. But yeah, you would you would look at it and say that's a large SK boat. Um, or a K racing runabout or something like that. Now, this boat that we raced um, is uh, not nearly as civil as my offshore boat because it's only 20 and a half feet long, and it has 1,200 horsepower. Um, Martin, what uh, we talked a little bit about Bob's racing background. What about your racing background? How did you get involved in boats a little bit? Well, you know, I, th- I think I probably fit the mold of a lot of the guys. I mean, it's a hobby that ran amok, and I I started on the West Coast. In fact, I mean, Bob was the president of uh, Pacific Offshore when I started racing, and started in a small boat like most of the guys that worked their way up, and I, I kind of set my... And, uh, you know, I, again, I started on the West Coast, so I'm, I'm used to that big swell, and it was, it was really interesting growing through the ranks and getting up to the bigger boats and, and racing all around the world and getting a chance to see the different water conditions, and I, I think Bob nailed it right on the head what that Pacific water is like. You know, and then the only the only other caveat I would put in there is, 
you know, while the East Coast water is one thing, the Great Lakes water is a whole other animal. You know, the you got shorter sets, it seems, on the on the East Coast than you have on the West Coast, and the swells may be a little more predominant, but you get to the Great Lakes, and it's a whole different animal. It's like driving in a washing machine. There's really no rhythm. The water comes at you from everywhere, and you can change up from having three-footers to having six-footers just with the snap of a finger and a little bit of wind. So it, it, it's been really fun, and, you know, like Bob, I've been in the marine industry for a long time, and, you know, now I'm back on the on the race organization side, but, you know, from the manufacturing side, sales side, rigging side, uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun being involved with a lot of great people. And as a result of, you know, being in the industry for a long time, I've certainly had the opportunity to, to run some really neat boats and have a good time. Well, now you also did some radio too, right? Yeah, radio? I've, done, uh, I've done radio. We kind of started with a, with a high-performance fireboat talk show, and uh, I've done commentary all over the world uh, in the European circuit here in North America on radio and television. So and that was kind of an extension of the, you know, some, maybe some training before in, in, a, in another life and coming back here and uh, applying it to my boat racing uh, experience and, you know, getting out of the boat and getting onto the commentary side. You know, as Bob said, I think one of the things that, that we bring when we get a chance to get on the radio, particularly when we get on the radio together, is you know, trying to put the, the general spectator that's that's never done this before maybe listening to it for the first time you know we do our job when they walk away going i I got a sense of what it was like to be in that boat and that's i think that's what we bring to it that you know we've been there you know we we both currently run boats and and to be able to provide that insight to people is is really i think what uh, what makes the commentary good what's uh what how does the european racing circuit compare to the uh over here in the united states well i i think that the U.S. market is so much more adept and understanding of what powerboat racing is. You've got, you know, you've got several different forms of racing over in Europe, and I've been involved with the V-bottom side over there with a with a group called P1 that really focuses on a on a horsepower to weight ratio format for their uh, for their technical and for everything that, that how the boats are all evened up so that there's there's even racing. Uh, but I, I think that. To compare the two, I would I would really break it more to the event side. The racing and the racers, you know, they're all the same guys. I go over there and it's the same personalities, the same guys. They just the passion of the sport. But over there, there's there's more of a concept of the pageantry of the event, and that's really what I'm spending most of my time trying to do with P1 is to bring some of that pageantry and the, uh, that Formula One car event feel to what a powerboat race is. Because you know, it, and, and Bob's been around us for a long time, and I'm sure he would agree that you know you look at the way we look at powerboat racing in other parts of the world, in a lot of times you end up racing the country. You know, in the case of the Qatar team is over here, you're racing against Sheikh Hassan, and you know it's there's a lot of country pride that comes into it, and the level of expectation they have from a hospitality point of view and from showing up at the event and what their expectations are is, is different than what our people um, expect over here. And I, you know, I think there's nothing really wrong with the way we do it over here, but I think it's it's important to to look at the good things that are that have worked over there and if we can bring that model over here i think we can help raise the whole sport to a whole new level and when you combine it with the the level of experience and maturity that that, that powerboat racing has in north america i mean let's face it we started offshore powerboat racing in north america nobody should be doing it better than we right bob <laughs> well that's true and, and you know with that being said i you know i would like to compliment uh you know clearwater and clearwater beach uh for the second year um event uh, they're doing a great job of bringing uh, a notoriety to their town um, by use of an offshore race event and uh, good promotion and everything else. And uh, from a racing, a racer standpoint of view, you know, we go to a lot of different towns, 
And we certainly go to a lot of places that we'd never have gone to if it hadn't been for the fact there's going to be a race there. And uh, we really feel welcome when we go to Clearwater, and uh, which is one of the primary reasons that I came back this year, because I was in a points chase um, in, in another organization, uh, which I had pretty much sewed up. It would have been a little bit of advantage for me uh, to go to that race that was competing that weekend. But Clearwater, uh, to me, uh, felt like a much better uh, place uh, to race. Uh, not only that, but uh, um, you know, my sponsor, Amsoil. Um, you know, I think they get a, a better exposure from a town like Clearwater. And so, you know, you know, we're not saying that the events in the in the in in America are, are dismal by any stretch of the imagination. And some are way better than others. And I can you know, I can think off the top of my hand, you know, like uh, you know, St. Clair, Michigan, the town just completely rolls out the carpet for 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 what we do. And um, a few other towns that we go to in Clearwater, first year they really stepped up big. I you know, and then the second year as well. So, and then of course just down the road a little bit, uh, Sarasota's had uh, you know over 20 years they've been putting on an event down there. Uh, the benefits, the Shriners, uh, kids, and all that stuff, and and uh, it's it's one amazing event that the whole town gets behind. So, you know, to me, that's those are the events that are really worth going to. Would you go? Was it, would it be a fair statement to say that uh, Martin, you're kind of indicating, and and Bob as well, that in Europe there's more fan participation and there's more fan. Kind of, I know in European motorsports because I've been over there before. Um, it's like it's huge. Now, the United States, NASCAR's got a large amount of fan participation, but the rest of the races are usually like in quarantine. But over there, it seems like, just like you mentioned, or alluded to, that the whole city, the whole area, it all everybody just gets into it, and it just becomes a huge, huge, huge event. And like when you guys came here to Clearwater, you know, there was a reasonable amount of promotion done, and, and, they, and, they, and it was a lot, a lot better than last year. And the beach turnout was great, though. The, the amount of boats that were out in the water um, surrounding the course, that was, uh, that was immense. Uh, there was, they estimated over 1,000 boats that were out there on that uh, four-and-a-half-mile course, and... Uh, so is this something that uh, that you as the drivers and the boats and the teams that you like to see is just a whole bunch like the whole community just comes out and and everybody gets involved and that's kind of what you're that's where you're going with this correct yeah i i and i and i want to echo what bob said also i mean there's there's certainly uh, you know we go to venues and clearwater is a perfect example of that where you show up there and the community completely gets behind the event you know, there's nothing that that any sportsman in fact, any hobbyist, it doesn't matter. We all are people. We like to go to a place where we're embraced. And, you know, we showed up there, and they loved having us there. I mean, the spectator fleet, it was as close to racing as in a stadium as you can be in the ocean by all the people lining the beach on one side of the race course. And on the other side of the race course, you had a complete line of spectator boats. And that is you know, that's part of the community coming out, getting the word out, and doing a great job of promotion. And I think that um, you know, if, if you want to compare the European to the to the North American kind of mentality, I think maybe we've got a little bit more emphasis on on the racing side from the participants' perspective, and Europe may have a little bit more for, a little bit more emphasis on um, the ground related things and the, and the pageantry of it. But you know, it's there's there's subtle differences, and you know there are of course race sites. You know, Clearwater because of what they what they do putting that event on, it's a place that makes me go, look, I'll go to Clearwater to vacation. And that's ultimately what a community wants mm-hmm. by being involved with an event. They want the people to come not only to see the event, they want to showcase their city for um, all the spectators that come, all the racers that come, the racers' family, the press, the media, to say, hey, this is a great place to come when there's not a boat race going on. And, you know, there are certainly some cities that really 
give us that sense. And, you know, like Bob said, I've got, you know, I've got my pick. If I've got multiple races on a particular weekend, I'm going to go to the one that I think is going to do, is going to make me feel the most welcome where I've got more things to do. Um, you know, a points consideration is certainly something i got to think about as a racer, but when I look at the venue, I'm looking at coming in as where am I going to have fun with my family when I'm bringing my family to an event? Um, what's, what's, you know, what's going to give me that aspect of why I race? which is, you know, beyond getting in the race boat and running. It's all the things that go along with it. Well, that's good. I'm glad you guys both enjoyed it. Um, you guys both plan on going to be here, uh, cl- plan on coming back next year for the, I think it's in October again next year, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, already on our calendar. Well, that's good. Uh, have you guys ever raced together in the same boat? I don't know. Has that ever happened, Martin? I, well, I guess we could we could call the shootout. We've run the shootout together. That's right. Yeah, we, we've. Uh, you know, I've been. Uh, I'm also the uh, the chief test pilot, test driver for Powerboat Magazine, uh-huh. of which I'm the uh, technical editor for. And uh, so, in addition to you know, um, Martin and I starting out, you know, offshore racing and stuff like that, and him coming on board at that time, I was also with Powerboat, and then uh, not too long after that, he got hooked up with Fountain Powerboats, and uh, through one move and the other ended up at the factory so then he ended up being a guy that you know during my testing activities i would be dealing with the fountain and so yeah we we've uh, messed around with a lot of things together but i think we probably raced uh, as close together in two different boats as a lot of people might race together in one boat so, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think we've been on the same track a lot and and, and for a while we actually uh did run um in in the uh same uh class you know when when uh, he was running a fountain um with todd welling uh and i was running a super v um with larry kramer that owns the harry's hop restaurant chain out here in uh, northern california mm. Hey, guys, I just got my uh, three-minute warning, but I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. And also, hey, you uh, speaking of uh, test boats, uh, Jay Pellini of Spectra Boats, you did some testing for his boat, too, didn't you, when he used to manufacture his uh, racing boats? That's right. In fact, uh, we, I just helped uh, set up one of those boats that had the new Ilmore Viper 725s and Indy Drives on it mm-hmm. um, out at Lake of the Ozarks uh, with Mike Flanagan, who is from your town. And... Uh, and uh, we were at Lake of the Ozarks, and I helped them uh, do some dial-in work on that boat. But uh, it was a 32-foot Spectra uh, that uh, they're showcasing out there. And now it's in Oregon. It made it all the way to Oregon. But um, that's one of their new products. Okay. Well, anyway, we're just about out of time. But, again, I want to thank you both, Bob Teague, Teague Marine, and Martin Sanborn of, uh, I guess, uh, the uh, Superboat uh International, correct? That would be or Powerboat no, International. Powerboat P1. Powerboat P1. Okay, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, maybe I might make it down to Key West. I don't know. That's next month, correct? Hey, no, it's, yes, it's yeah. Well, it's next month. It's it's, it's for the week of uh, between the seventh and the fifteenth. That's the final race. That's that's final race. It's a and, and it's a it's a festival. Uh-huh. Uh, so you know, be prepared to come down and party a little bit. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it's some serious racing on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. Okay. And uh, and uh, you know, it's people come down there and 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 race until they drop. So if you want to see some serious racing with a good spectator venue, um, that's the place to go. Okay. All right, guys. And this, and this will be the thirty. This will be the thirtieth running of the Key West Offshore Championships. And you know, John Carbonell down there with SCI does a fantastic job. So look for a heck of a good time at the 30th annual Key West World Championship. Okay, guys. They just clicked us off. So uh, thanks for coming on the air. Sorry it ran too short, but uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you next year, okay? Thanks, guys, and good luck to you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. See you.